Let's pray. Father, I just want to say that there's, there's no place, Lord, I'd rather be than, than here right now preaching your word to your people and, and Lord, showing your people the amazing truth that, that is written in this book, that you, that you spoke through man, Lord, as, as they wrote this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And, and Lord, we do believe that this is your word and, and it works with power. And Lord, I thank you for the beauty of it. And I thank you, Lord, that you are uh, an amazing God. And I ask, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see um, what, what, what it is that you want for us to see today. And I pray that you would help me, Lord, to faithfully communicate what the text is saying and, and, and also helping people to uh, apply it to their life. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So yeah, last week, uh, we looked at what it means to be a child of God. Uh, if you're in the family of God, uh, you are chosen by him, and you are currently justified. And we learned that ju- being justified means that your sins have been canceled, and the perfect righteousness of Christ has been credited to you. And we also learned that the final state of the, for the believer in Christ is glorification. And, and this is a done deal in God's eyes. This isn't something that's, that is a question mark. If, if, you, if you truly are born again, you will be glorified. And we looked at also that every, every painful trial that you face in your life is somehow for your good. That God is working that for your, for your benefit. And, and the reason God does this is, is to grow you to be like Jesus. He has a purpose in this. And so everything that happens to you somehow works towards this end. And, and the one way that the Lord does this is through pain. Uh, he, he, he has this design that through pain, you're going to become more like Christ. And, and this was point one last week. Uh, you do have an a, uh, outline in your bulletin. And the text today is Romans 8.31. And 32. If you're using a Red Pew Bible below the chairs, it's on page 944. Uh, last week we looked at verses 28 through 30. This week we're going to look at verses 31 and 32. Uh, but last week, point one in your outline was if you are a Christian, you are God's chosen child, and He intricately ordains every adversity in your life for His purpose and your ultimate good. You are God's chosen child, and he intricately ordains every adversity in your life for his purpose and your ultimate good. So this brings us to verses 31 and 32 of Romans 8. So you can follow along with me in the Bible here. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Point two. If you are a Christian, God the Father made the greatest sacrifice in giving up his son so you can bank on the assurance that God is in your favor and will deliver on all of his promises. God the Father made the greatest sacrifice 
in giving up his son. So you can bank on the assurance that God is in your favor and will deliver on all of his promises. So when we, when we take a look here at verse 31, and the Apostle Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? So when he says these things, he's obviously looking back at something here. And, and what he's looking back at is, he's looking back at what he has previously written in this letter, in the letter of Romans. Uh, the first four chapters of Romans are very doctrinal in, in nature. Uh, and, and so he's not, he's not referring to the first four chapters, but what he's referring to is, is chapters 5 through 8. And chapters 5 through 8 uh, really cover the hope that the Christian has because what Christ has done, because of his death, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. Um, in, in Romans 5, 8, you know, many of you know this verse, that God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 6 and 7 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that, that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So chapter 6 is focusing on that the Christian is no longer a slave to sin, but you're a slave to God. And so you're set free from sin, and sin no longer has any power over you. And then in Romans 7, Paul touches on the law. You know, of course, the Jewish people in the Old Testament lived under the law. And, and his focus here is on because Jesus came, because he died, and, and he brought, Jesus brought in this new covenant. The Jews lived under the old covenant. Jesus is now under the new covenant. And because he did this, you are no longer under the law, but you can now live by the Spirit because, what, because of what Jesus has done. And now in Romans 8, we see what God has done for you, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The guilt that you have for your sin will not be counted against you. And we saw last week that if you are a Christian, you were chosen. Jesus died for you. He paid for your sins before you even came into this world 2,000 years ago. And we, we saw that in your life, you were called by God, and in that moment you were justified, and that you will be glorified. So this is the hope we have in Christ. And so this is what, when Paul says, what shall we say then to these things? He's pointing back to what he's already written and the hope that Christians have in Christ. And one thing we must remember, though, um, when, we, when we look at the second half of verse 31 here, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, what could be more amazing than that? The, the, the creator of the universe is, is for you. And nothing can be more amazing than that. But what we must remember is that in our natural state, God has not always been for you. Uh, if, if you read Genesis, we see what happened in the fall. And, it, and, and humanity did not get very far before God pretty much gave up on humanity. It was, uh, in Genesis chapter 6, uh, you know, Noah was considered the righteous man, and the rest of the world was corrupt. And so what did God do? He, he, was, he, he was so sorry that he created man that he sent a flood on, this, on, the, on the world to destroy humankind and to pretty much start over. And so this is man, this is man in our natural state. And, and, and you know what? You're, you're a sinner in your natural state. Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
And then, of course, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we don't, we don't measure up to God's standard of righteousness. We fall way short. Um, we're all, you know, we're not inherently good people. We're inherently evil people. And so in our natural state, God is not for you. He's against you. Um, but, of course, the moment that you came to know Christ in your life and you were given the Holy Spirit, and, and when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees his righteousness and not your sin. God is for you. Because you are, you are united with Christ, God is for you. <clears throat> so, so that's an amazing promise we, we, need, we need to cling on to. It's, it's truly amazing. But, you know, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? This doesn't mean that no one in your life will be against you. Um, and, and actually, the, the closer that you walk with God, the more opponents you're going to have. You know, uh, a lukewarm Christian doesn't have very many opponents. But someone who radically follows Jesus will have many opponents. Will, you will have opposition because the world, you're going, you're, you're, uh, the Christian is living life upstream and you're going against the flow of the world and because of that, the world doesn't like what you're doing and so they're going to they're gonna oppose you. You know, it says in 2 Timothy 4, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This is what happens with people who closely follow God. And the great, um, where, so what we need to look, when, when we look at verse 31, it, it says that if God is for us, who can be against us? It, this is a rhetorical question. Who can be against us? And the answer is, you will have people against you, but no one can successfully be against you. So let me repeat that. No one can successfully be against you. The greatest opponent to the Christian, um, probably, probably your flesh is, is the greatest opponent to, to, to yourself. I want, I want to hold back before I say this because Satan can't send you to hell. You're the only one who can send yourself to hell. But that being said, Satan is, he is the enemy of your soul. And, and let, let's take a look now at Romans 8, 33 and 34. This is, this is within the context of this passage uh, where Paul writes, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who is indeed interceding for us? Um, so what Satan does is he he stands before God and he accuses you before him. He says, look at this person's sin. You know, you need to punish them for the, they deserve eternal punishment because of their sin. He stands before God and this is what he says. And Revelation 12.10 says, the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. So Satan accuses you before God because of your sin. But again, because you are united with Christ, if you are a Christian, Satan has no power over you. And he can't do anything with you. He can accuse you all day long, but he has no power and he can't do anything with you. And he's not the only opponent you're going to have, of course. You're going to have your fellow uh, human beings, mankind, you're going to have opposition here. Uh, Paul writes in verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded 
as sheep to be slaughtered. So, so you, you don't have, your, your opponents aren't just the unseen, the spiritual forces of evil. Your opponents are also people that you see, uh, human beings. Many over the last 2,000 years have died because of their faith in Christ. They, they were martyrs for their faith. And one thing these martyrs knew, because of their witness for Christ, is that all their opponents could do was kill their body. That was the worst thing that could happen to them. And they knew that once they died, that they would be welcomed into heaven by their Savior, Jesus Christ. Because, because they had that hope, they weren't afraid to die. And, and, and God commands us in Matthew ten twenty eight not to fear those who can only kill the body. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy, destroy both soul and body in hell. So God is he's commanding you. He's saying, don't, don't fear them. All they can do is kill you. I mean, you're going to be dead 100 years from now anyways. What, what's the worst thing they could do? But he calls us to fear him because he has the power to throw your soul into hell. A, a man, when they kill you, all they can do is kill your body. And one of the first martyrs of the Christian faith um, we see in the book of Acts, and his name is Stephen. Uh, you don't have to turn here, but I'm going I'm to read here from Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 60. And, and this describes um, how Stephen died. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against me or against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So Stephen is getting stoned. He's getting killed. And right before he dies, he gazes up into the heavens and he sees Jesus standing there. And he knows that he's going to die. And he knows that he's going to be with the Lord. And, and you know what? The, the countless people who have died over the last 2,000 years, hundreds of thousands of people, men and women, have died for their faith in Christ, uh, most of whom we don't know their name. Uh, they, they, too, when, they, when, when the, their body was killed, they entered the presence of the Lord. And, you know, of course... So, some, of the one, some of the missionaries that we're more familiar with who have died, or I shouldn't say missionaries, but martyrs who have died for their faith. You know, William Tyndale died in the 16th century. Uh, he translated the Bible into English. And so when, when you're reading, and he was burned at the stake. So whenever you're reading your Bible, think about William Tyndale and the sacrifice he made so that you could have a Bible in front of you. And of course, uh, two famous ones from the 20th century, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he died at the hands of Nazi Germany. And also, uh, Jim Elliott, uh, he died in, uh, in the hands of indigenous people uh, from Ecuador. And, and these people, you know, and, and 
Jim Elliot's quote is incredible. He says, you know, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. And Jim Elliot knew that he couldn't lose his soul. And so he, he gave up his life for Christ. And perhaps some of you will die for Jesus someday. Maybe that's God's plan for you, for you to be a martyr and for you to enter into his presence in glory. So again, I want to reiterate what verse 31 is saying here. It's not saying that no one will be against you if you are a Christian. It's saying that no one can successfully be against you. Um, And this is in in an eternal spiritual sense, that no one can touch your soul. And then verse 32, uh, take a look with me at verse 32. Uh, and this is, this is really the heartbeat of the Bible, this verse is. So listen closely. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? When we look at what took place at the cross, and what Jesus did, we, we can see what God has, been, has done for you in the past. So we look back and we say, okay, because God did this for me in the past, I can look at my present and say, okay, wow, he, he made the greatest sacrifice in giving up his son. And so, and so how much more won't he also help me in my present circumstances in life? God the Father gave up his perfect, righteous, holy, and precious son, into the hands of sinners. Jesus died a humiliating death, uh, you know, the most, humili- most painful, humiliating physical death possible was, was dying on the cross. He, he suffocated to death. And it even says in Isaiah that he, you couldn't even, he was unrecognizable. That's how, that's how much physical suffering he faced. But even beyond the physical suffering was the spiritual suffering that Jesus faced. Uh, in that moment when he was on the cross, from, it says in the Gospels that from 12 o'clock in the afternoon till 3 o'clock in the afternoon, this, it went black. I mean, could you imagine that today from 12 to 3 in the afternoon, if it all of a sudden went black? And, and what happened in that moment was that Jesus took on the sins of the, of the whole world. He took, on, he took on the sins of anyone who would believe in him. And he was treated as our sins deserve. And God the Father poured out his wrath upon Jesus in that moment. And nothing like that has ever happened in history. And nothing will ever happen like that in history. And he did this for you. Uh, J.I. Packer actually said that every second that Jesus spent on the cross was like an eternity. Um, he took on, you know, anybody who, anybody who goes to hell for their sin is only, they're only being punished for their own sin. Jesus was punished for the sins of his people. Your sins. And imagine what he, so just imagine what he went through. And just remember that he did this for you. He did this to save you. And this is the greatest sacrifice the Father could ever have made. And we, we, see, that we see a story in the Old Testament that, that points ahead to, to what took place at the cross. Uh, it's a story that many of you are familiar with. It's in Genesis chapter 22. Uh, the story of Abraham and Isaac. And I'm just going to read a few verses here, and we'll, we'll discuss this. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, 
And he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So we see here with what took place with Abraham and Isaac in Genesis that Abraham was willing to go through with it. He was willing to slaughter his son because God commanded him to do it. But he didn't go through with it. But when we look at the cross, we know that God the Father, he, he went through with it. He didn't, he didn't hold back Jesus. Jesus was slaughtered for your sake. The act of the Father giving up his son is what Alexander McLaren called the highest crown and glory of love as we know it. Um, you know, when, when this world talks about love, it, it doesn't compare with the way the Bible talks about love. And, and what took place when the Father gave up Jesus is the greatest act of love that this world will ever see and in, in, in eternity past. In, in eternity past and in eternity future will ever see. It's, it's the greatest act of love. Now look at your life. In your life, if God will do the infinitely greater act of giving up his son, then he'll do the lesser promise of giving you all things. And this is the second half of verse 32. Uh, Verse 32 again is, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so when we see all things, is this referring to a house on the lake? Or a new car? Free food? Heaven on earth? No. No. It's not referring to the, the temporary things that we think of when we think, okay, God's going to give this to me. This is a, this is, it's not a temporary blessing that God gives to you. All things um, is referring to present and future promises that the Lord guarantees for believers. Uh, Thomas Schreiner said that all things appears to be referring to now and future eschaton. Everything now that is painful is a gift for your benefit, but the ultimate benefit is eschatological. Um, so when we see the word eschatological, this is referring to future things, things that have um, things that will happen when this world is over. But first and foremost, all things is referring to present difficult circumstances that you face in your life. Yeah. If you are a Christian, remember. Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So this is what it's pointing to, that every difficult, God has a purpose for every difficult thing that happens to you. 
And, and when we look at suffering, of course, in the world we live in, we try to avoid suffering at all costs. Uh, that's the reason why people take uh, ibuprofen, you know, because we, we want to avoid pain as much as possible, you know. And, you know, hospitals are flooded. People are visiting the doctor's office. We're trying to avoid any kind of pain possible. We, live, we try to live in comfort as much as we can. But when the Bible talks about pain, it talks about it in a positive way. You know, of course, James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. Uh, Philippians one twenty nine, For it has been granted to you that for, uh, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So it has been granted to you that you should suffer for his sake. So this is a gift. This is a gift that God has given you. So whatever you suffer, you can, say, you, you can just say, yes, I'm, you know, this, this is God doing this. I can grow from this. This is, this is what God is using. This is what all things is referring to. So all things do mean difficult circumstances now. But remember, God has a greater plan in your life of making you like his son. And we look back to verse 29 here in Romans 8. And those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So God's plan is to make you like his son. But the other aspect of all things that every Christian is looking forward to, that we're all looking ahead to, is the future glorification of going to heaven, of being with Christ, and and being out of this uh, painful world, and being out of our sin, and being um, set free once and for all. And... And that's the hope that we're looking forward to. And, and you know what? The Apostle Paul, in his life, this was the hope that he, that he looked ahead to, that, that, kept him, that kept him going during his difficult times. And, and you want to talk about someone who had difficult times? I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing what the Apostle Paul faced. This, he described his life here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 28. He says, Five times... Five times I received at the hands of Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. In danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So this was Paul's life. You know, if, if Paul didn't have a future promise that he would be resurrected from the dead one day, he, he had a really miserable existence. I mean, this, nobody wants this life. <laughs> but because of the joy that was set before him, he endured this pain. And that's what helps you in your life endure the pain that will come your way. And that has already come your way. That this is the hope that is set before you. And, and Paul writes in the context of this passage too in verses 35 and 36, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So, so when Paul writes this, it's like, for the Christian, it's like, 
you know, almost, it's like you're in a hopeless situation. You're, you're, waiting, you're, you're like a sheep waiting to be slaughtered. But then you realize, you know, that God raised Jesus from the dead, and he will raise you from the dead one day too. And so how was Paul able to persevere through these severe, tri- severe trials in his life? Was it his own strength? No, it was not even close. If he was on his own strength, I think he, after, the, after being uh, the 40 lashes last one, he probably would have been done. But he was able to keep going because God gave him the grace he needed. And, and this is what Paul says. He says that it was God working through him the entire way that gave him the strength to pull through. 1 Corinthians 15.10, he says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So Paul is saying here, you know what, I worked hard, but it wasn't my strength that got me through. It was God's grace. The, the grace that he did, you know, God showed us grace in the past, through Jesus, through what Jesus did, and he, and, he, and he gave Paul the grace he needed to get through his life. And he'll do the same in your life. And Paul reached the finish line, and you will too. And it's amazing to see how God used someone like Paul. You know, Paul, he was a pioneer to the Gentiles. You know, he brought the gospel to them, a people that, you know, that were always looked at as kind of outside. You know, the Jews were God's chosen people. The Gentiles were kind of on the outside. You know, and and God set aside Paul specifically for the mission of bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And so God used all of these circumstances for that purpose. And he used all of these circumstances also to make Paul more like Christ. You know, Paul in his life grew in holiness. And, and I'm sure that God used this through, his, through these trials. You know, and Paul also, he wrote 13 letters of the New Testament, you know. So when you read the New Testament and, and you pick a random letter, it, it, odds are he probably wrote it. And it's amazing how God used him and the grace that God gave him so that he could complete the task. And so because God did the greater thing of giving up his son, he will do the lesser of helping you in your life. And I have five applications here of ways that God will help you in your life. Uh, Number one is, okay, let's say that you have something coming up, something on the horizon that is causing you a lot of stress. Uh, Let's say, you know, you have have a deadline coming up, or maybe in your present circumstance you're facing a lot of anxiety, and 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 you're, you're afraid. The place to go to is a promise that God promises to deliver on, because he gave up Jesus for you, is Isaiah 41.10. Many of you know this verse. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So that's, that's God's grace that he promises to give you because he gave up his son. How about if you're struggling financially? You know, every, every month you're having a hard time paying the bills and, and, and you're having a difficult time putting food on the table every week. Where can, where can we turn to? What, what lesser promise will God certainly deliver on? Uh, Hebrews 
Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So God is saying here, you know what? I gave up my son for you. You don't need this money for security. You need me. You don't need this. All you, I, I own everything you have. All you need is me. So just come to me and I will give you the help that you need. Be content with what you have. I'm, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. This is God's promise that he will deliver on. What if you face depression? You know, I think, you know, this is, this is a, you know, a human condition that's common, you know, with so many people. And it's, it's you know, where you just go through a valley in your life and, and, you're, and it, you just kind of feel hopeless. Some, even, even, even Christians face depression where you can just kind of go through a hopeless, dry period. And the play, but God promises to give us joy. So what, where do we go to? Psalm 1611. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And then another verse is John fifteen eleven. Uh, this is Jesus speaking here. He says, I say these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So God offers this maximum joy that comes only from him. I mean, every joy, every pleasure that, that is outside of God is, doesn't compare with, with the pleasure that comes from knowing God. It's, uh, you know, those things will never satisfy you. But God says, you know what, I will satisfy you. And so don't fill your life with all these things when you face depression. You know, because that's the thing we do. We, we try to fill our lives with all this stuff to find fulfillment. But he's saying, come to me. I will give you pleasures forevermore. And I will give you fullness of joy. Just come to me. What if you're tempted with sin? This is number four. And, of course, you know, as a Christian, you are at war. You're at war with your flesh. You're at war with Satan, who is tempting you to sin. He wants you to fall. And so what if you're tempted? Where do you go? The promise of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So when you're tempted, we all know what it's like. It's like you feel like I can't, there's no way out. I feel trapped. I feel like I have to give in to this, temp, this temptation to sin. And what God says is, no, you don't. I gave up my son for you and I will give you a way of escape here so that you don't have to sin. And he promises to do that here in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. And then what if you do sin? This is number five. He is faithful to forgive. Um, you, you were washed completely when Jesus went to the cross. So your sins were paid for once for all. But in your present life, when you do sin, there's this, there is this continual washing that you need to do of yourself. You need to continually repent of your sin. And we see this in 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when you do sin, the worst thing you could do is run from God. Yeah. So don't run from God when you, when, you do, when you do fall into sin. Go to him. Confess it. You know, 
Having sorrow for your sin is, is, is a great thing. That, that, that's a sign that you truly are a child of God. If, if, you're, not, if you're not sorrowful for your sin, you need to, you need to ask yourself, am I truly a, have I truly been saved? Because as a Christian, you know, sin is passing away, and you have died to sin, and you are being made holy. And so you need to do this continual washing. And God promises to give you the grace that you need to overcome this sin. And so if God, if, if God will do the greater thing of giving up his son, then he will certainly do the lesser things of these promises that are laid out in Scripture. So go to him. Ask him. He will deliver. He'll give you the grace that you need. These are blood-bought promises. So look at, look at them that way. They're blood-bought promises. Romans 8.32 is a reality for you. It's a reality and so we need to live with this in mind. You know, because he gave up his son, he'll do this for me. And, and if you are in Christ, remember God has always been doing good for you. He chose you before the foundation of the world. He sent his son for you 2,000 years ago. He called you to believe in him in your life. And he will give you the grace that you need, just as he gave the Apostle Paul the grace he needed to fulfill the mission that he has for you. And, and of course, his final plan for you is that you will be welcomed into his glory forever. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Amen. That's the hope we have in Christ. So be assured that because God offered up his beloved son for you, every adversity that you face is for your benefit. If you are a Christian, you are God's chosen child, and he intricately ordains every adversity in your life for his purpose and your ultimate good. And God the Father made the greatest sacrifice in giving up his son. So you can bank on the assurance that God is in your favor and will deliver on all of his promises. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you that you gave me the grace that I needed to get through the sermon. <laughs> and, and Lord, it's a constant thing that you do. Um, Lord, we, it's an amazing thing to, be, to know, Lord, that, that you are for your people. And, and Lord, it's a, it's, a it's a frightening thing to know, Lord, that, that many in this world uh, you are not for them, Lord, you, you, but you are against them. And, and Lord, I pray that, you know, that it, two things would take place here. I pray that we would be thankful, Lord, of just so thankful every day, Lord, that you, that you are for us, that your grace covers us. Um, at the same time, Lord, I pray that you would give us urgency to tell people of, of the grace that, that you have offered in Christ. Um, you know, Lord, because this world is passing away, and, and you will return, Lord, in judgment, 
And it'll make Noah's flood look very small, Lord, compared to what's coming, that, that your anger, Lord, is, it will be poured out on this world that, 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 has, that is in rebellion to you. Um, but Lord, I pray that we would be right with your son, be right with you, because Jesus really did pay the price for our sins. And we thank you for this time, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.